Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about helping you get unstuck in life in the areas of faith, family, fitness, finances, and future possibility in the hopes of inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of beyond the rut. I'm your host, Jerry, and in just a moment, Katina Stith is going to join us as a special guest host. She is the host of a podcast called TrueIdentity.life, and she's already done a few episodes with us. She's a good friend of ours, and we just wanted to help her get started. So she is joining us. She's going to add to the conversation in a way we haven't had in a while, or ever, actually. And we're together going to have a conversation with Stacy Sims. Stacy once touted herself as the worst diabetes mom ever. In fact, she wrote a book about it called The Worst Diabetes Mom. She is now the host of Diabetes Connections, which is a show, a podcast about bringing together resources and experts and parents around the topic of raising a child with type 1 diabetes. She's applying over 20 years of experience in broadcasting, which makes her pretty much an expert in how to have a show. We're great to have we're actually grateful to have her on the show because one she brings a liveliness to the atmosphere of the show but also raising awareness about diabetes. You may not know this, but a lot of people in my family have type 2 diabetes. So this is something that's near and dear to my heart. So, sit back and relax unless you're trying to stab somebody with a needle. In that case, put that down. That's very dangerous. Don't do that. But for everybody else, listen to our show. Here we go. All right. Hey, Katina, welcome back. Uh, hello, gotta, hello, hello. Awesome. And I got to tell you, you're already doing a better job than Brandon. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if the fan mail is rolling in yet or not, but I'm going to start up with like 15, 20 fake email accounts and start emailing Brandon and on the Beyond the Rut email and just Love like, hey. you, Brandon. That's <laughs> <laughs> so what he gets when he misses something. Jerry starts pranking him. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I told you this. Last year, he was supposed to go to podcast movement with me and he, he didn't go. And oh. yeah, so I just had this conversation with him like, hey, if you were to go and you wanted to meet like your favorite podcasters, who would they be? And he just started rattling off names. He didn't know I was taking notes on every single name. And so during the whole week at Podcast Movement, I'm bumping into people like Erica Mandy, who he loves her show. And I'm like, hey, Erica, I need to get a selfie with you to rub it into my friend who didn't come to Podcast Movement. And she's like, yeah, sure. And so here's a selfie with us. And then I bump into Erlon Woods because he listens to Ear Hustle. It's one of his favorite shows. I'm like, Erlon, it's going to sound weird, but I need a selfie with you. Because my friend, and I told him the same story, and he's like, no, 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 we're doing video. And so we fired up a video, and Erlon is chewing out Brandon for not coming to podcast movement. He's showing his name tag in the video to prove he's Erlon Woods. And I'm like, this, I Aww. couldn't have paid this guy to do this any oh, better. No. And uh, every so often, I'll repost that on our Facebook page for Beyond the Rut and <laughs> just rub it in. Like, this is why you don't <laughs> miss stuff. Uh, so anyway, Katina, thank you for doing that. And uh, this might be one of those episodes that I just throw it back at Brandon. I'm like, this way don't miss stuff um <laughs> but we're also glad you're on here um, yeah yeah uh now the the other reason why we're here is we have a new friend stacy sims from diabetes connections podcast and she's going to share with us who sh she is and what she's about and all that good stuff how are you doing stacy hey i'm great jerry and katina thanks so much for having me wow a little bit of uh 
problem with Brandon? You guys, I thought this was like a supportive <laughs> show and you're all friends. And I love Brandon. I love Brandon. Okay. I, I wait, I walk in, I don't know anybody and it's like, oh my goodness. Uh, I guess for the record, uh, especially if you don't know, I've known Brandon since 2005. So, uh, um, very nice. Very nice. Yeah. We got over 15 years of banter going back and forth and, uh, uh we're brothers. Yeah. We, we may as well be, you know, like, or, or twins, you know, like yes. the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito thing. He's tall. <laughs> I'm short, you know, uh, but yeah, we've known each other for a while. We've been through a lot. So, yeah. So Stacy, uh, we met through, um, it, oh man, it's one of two Facebook groups. It's either the Christian podcasters association or podcast movement. It was podcast movement. Yes, and I, I, I can, I can tell you that definitively because Jerry, I am Jewish. Oh, that would have done we, it. Yeah. We, it was an easy one to narrow down. When you started to say, where did we meet? I was like, how are we going to narrow this down? There's so many podcasting groups, but that was an easy uh, one. That yeah. Normally I have like a screenshot. I set it aside. And when I build my notes out for the interview, it's, it's all good. And then last night I'm like double checking it. I'm like, where's the screenshot? What? What? So, but anyway. that's one of the coolest things about podcasting is that that group is massive, right? Tens of thousands oh, of yeah. people. And you can learn so much. You can meet so many cool people. And there's really no barriers. There's very few people in podcasting who have those walls up. You know, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to meet you. I can't learn from you. So I really appreciated that you reached out. And I'm excited to yeah. talk to you today. I think that's what I love about podcasting. It's one of the most collaborative spaces I've ever seen, um, you know, the best of us don't seem to look at it as a competition. It's, you know, we're working together. You know, there's, you're going to touch people a certain way. You're going to touch people another way. I'm going to touch people a different way. Let's all work together. So I love no that. Doubt. Yeah. And I, I really love that you had a career in journalism, radio for a number of years. And then one day you, you switched gears and you now have this podcast that's been around for a number of years, Diabetes Connections. Um, tell us about that show and like what launched that and uh, how it's been helping people. You got it. So I'm one of those really lucky weirdos who knew what they wanted to do in middle school and then actually got to do it. So in seventh grade, I knew I'm going to be a TV reporter. I made up my mind. And that's what I did. I went to college. I was a radio reporter while I was in college. I was actually able to get a job my senior year, which I, I was horrible at, just the worst. But <laughs> you know, it was the weekend. They needed, a, they needed somebody. And then I was able to have a career in local television news and uh, in my early 30s, I moved into radio and I did mornings in Charlotte, North Carolina. I still live near Charlotte. I worked at WBT Radio, which is one of these heritage radio stations that's been around for, it's almost a hundred years now. Mm-hmm. And so to do the morning show there was kind of intimidating. You know, there's these giants in the industry, but I was there for 10 years. It was exciting and wonderful and it was perfect because I had my children at that time too. So I had these two little kids and nobody was sleeping and I was getting up at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning to go to work and life was crazy. But after 10 years of that, and this is, I'm getting to the podcast, after 10 years of that, um, I really was not able to keep up with it because my kids were older. My daughter was in middle school. My son was playing baseball at night. And, you know, I'm the parent at 730 going, isn't it time for bed? You know, I mean, it was really hard. Yeah. So finally, I just couldn't do it. I was getting four or five hours of sleep at night and I felt like I was missing too much with my family. So I left um, that job. I probably could have stayed there forever. I miss it sometimes, but I don't miss getting up in the middle of the night. And started the podcast soon after that because my son, who is now almost 16, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes right before he turned 2. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm a big, big, big podcast listener. And I have been since the early, I mean, the mid-2000s when you had to plug your iPod 
pod into your computer, you know, and get the mm. downloads that way. There's nothing automatic. But I wasn't hearing the podcast that I wanted about type 1 diabetes. There are some great ones out there and there's new ones all the time, but there was no news kind of based one. There was nobody doing news interviews and questioning people and, and really getting the stories out of them that I wanted to hear. And I started it in the summer of 2015. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's really cool that you already had the the skill sets to jump right in. Like you knew the message you wanted to share. You you knew how to craft an episode and get those stories out because of your experience there. Um, and I know recently you had an episode that came out about like the impact of COVID nineteen, the pandemic on you know people who have diabetes. So yeah. Well, and and it's it, it was really interesting because I put my first episode out about COVID back in February, mm -hmm. and we really didn't know much at all. And unfortunately, we're I mean we all are still learning. Whatever your health condition is, we're still learning here at the end of 2020 about what COVID does and what it is. But for the diabetes community. It seemed early on there was going to be something different. Mm -hmm. And as it has shaken out, and again, we're far from any real conclusions, it seems much more devastating for the type 2 community oh. than the type 1 community. And we can talk about the different types of diabetes, but it really seems to be different. And so you know, even the CDC has kind of changed the categories when the vaccines come out. People with type 2 right now have priority over people with type 1. So there were so many questions in my community, and we did a bunch of episodes as best we could. And you know, telemedicine, endocrinology is the number one specialty now that wow. has used it. Yeah. Um, and why is that? And endocrinologists are people who, you know, with the endocrine system, type 1 diabetes and diabetes, blah, 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 blah. But I don't want to get too into the weeds there. You guys <laughs> tell me how, how detailed to get. But thanks for, for listening to that episode. It's been a real education. And certainly my, my husband has type 2, my son has type 1. So we're kind of a little bit more on alert for COVID. Um, but we've also adjusted as the year goes by and we learn more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a lot of uh, family members who've come down with, uh, come down with, uh, they've developed wow. type 2 diabetes. Uh, my dad, one mm -hmm. of them. And uh, it was an eye opener for me when I realized well, I have an X number of cousins who have it. My dad has type 2 diabetes. I'm living in Corpus Christi, Texas, which for a good while was the diabetes capital of the United States of America is what we were told. Uh, I think we recently dropped to number two uh, because an area with a larger population has <laughs> come on in to take in the ch take the championship from us and we're like great but we're still number two if you look at it from <laughs> do you want to do a quick explainer of the yes. differences yeah because folks okay. may not understand the difference between type one and type two yeah. and what even is yeah. diabetes yeah there are and there's actually many more kinds of diabetes that oh. you never heard of so i'm not going down that road okay but you know there's modi there's monogenetic there's a bunch of stuff you never heard of which is wow. fine. yeah but okay so type let, let's start looking at it this way as I explained to my son's preschool class many moons ago, you know, I used to say, who here eats food? You know, I eat food, <laughs> right? I, me, me, me. And then how do you, how do you, um, you know, you, people, we tell our little kids, we tell our little kids that food is the fuel that makes your body go, like putting mm -hmm. gas in a car. But what happens when we eat is that our body breaks down the food into energy. But what you're really doing is you're using insulin that your body produces to break the glucose in your food down to energy. Without insulin to break down that glucose, the glucose, the sugar, floats around in, this is very simple, floats around in your body, damaging all your vital organs. It is extremely dangerous. So knowing that and knowing that most of us produce insulin and go on our merry way, not even thinking about it, people with type 1 diabetes, which used to be called juvenile diabetes, but it can happen at any age, any age. I know somebody 70 years old diagnosed with type 1. Oh, wow. But, yeah, it's wild. But what happens is 
the body doesn't produce enough insulin. It can happen all at once as it usually happens in children. It happens in a matter of months or weeks. In adults, it can be slower moving. So it can happen over a period of years, which is why it's harder to diagnose often in adults. But in type 1, don't produce insulin. So there's no way to break that sugar down. And it gets very dangerous in a matter of weeks, if not days. And you can die. And people do with undiagnosed type 1. You need to infuse or inject insulin on a daily basis and whenever you eat. So that's type 1. And that's for the rest of your life. There's no cure. Don't give me your cinnamon, your okra. Leave your shakes at home. I don't want to hear your nonsense. Type 2 <laughs> diabetes. Oh, I've heard them all. I've I know you've been all. doing this for long enough, right? <laughs> Ooh, I've heard them all. <laughs> type 2 diabetes happens when, for many reasons, the body doesn't use insulin correctly. Mm. It doesn't. It produces insulin. It may produce lots of insulin, but it cannot use it correctly. And so the sugar is still swirling around, and that's extremely dangerous as well. Now, type 2 diabetes, most people say, oh, you know, hashtag my dessert, hashtag diabetes, right? I got it from having too much sugar. It's incredibly genetic. And so, Jerry, I was kind of like grimacing a little bit when you said my father, my cousins, you know, you might be a healthy weight and exercise your whole life, but please get yourself checked for diabetes because the genetic proponent, excuse me, the genetic component is so strong. And they actually think now that it doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously we want to be healthy. We don't want to be obese, but it doesn't really matter. If your genetics are there, you can be a healthy weight and still develop type two. Mm. And there's lots of people who are obese and never develop diabetes. So it's really tricky. One really good analogy is to think about it like as a key and a lock. So insulin is the key. And the lock is, you know, the sugar. So you've got to get that key in there. And with type one, you've lost the key. And with type two, you've got like 50 locks that you have to open. So, wow. wow. I'm so happy you said that even if you are healthy and you're doing the things, you can still carry this, have this. So, you know, for those that are listening and they're like, oh, that's not something I need to worry about, you know. Um, may not be something we need to worry about, but it is something that we need to, if it's a trace in your family, you know, to go and, and check out. If Absolutely. You, even if you're doing the, the right things and you feel like you're exercising, eating right and all. So I appreciate you saying that, you know, even yeah. I'm thinking, okay, maybe I need to, <laughs> I need to go and check out. <laughs> I'll be right back. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I gotta go. I gotta think. <laughs> the flip side, the flip side of that, Katina, is, there are a lot of people with diabetes who feel immense shame and blame. Mm. They feel like they did this to themselves. If only I ate better. If only I exercised more. And sure, to some extent, we all have to be responsible for those right. things. But at the same time, if it were that easy, we'd all be a size two. Right. So I can't stand that. I hate when people say, you know, oh, he didn't take care of himself. Mm-hmm. He didn't do this. It's like, you know what? I- I've eaten Doritos in the last week. You know, I'm yes. not eating kale for breakfast. We're yes. just doing the best we can. And yes, you want to do well. But I think, right, we just need to be aware of these things and understand that, you know, we don't blame people for high blood pressure. There's no shame in taking a high blood pressure medication. So why do we shame people for having type 2 diabetes? It's mm-hmm. it's weird to me. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is weird. We shouldn't be shaming anyway, yeah. you know, and um, it's, so you're right. You know, just I'm happy that you're using your platform to educate. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use CapShow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long form content like podcast episodes or YouTube videos 
into CapShow and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash CapShow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Thanks. It's a really interesting thing because inside the community, of course, once you have, and I mostly talk about type 1 diabetes or more and more people who use insulin on my show, um, our conversations are really different because we're, uh, we're very much aware of diabetes and all of these things that I've already mentioned. But when I'm talking to people outside the community, right, it's a whole different education process. It's really interesting because I knew nothing. And I was a health reporter. Mm. And I really knew very little about any type of diabetes. I had a lot of misconceptions. I had to like really concentrate to keep the differences straight in my head. Um, and I have found lots of my friends who are nurses who have kids who have been diagnosed with type 1 realized they didn't get the education that they thought they had. They spent a day on type 1 in their schooling. You know, it's no, one, it's no one's fault. It's just the way it's set up. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm already mind blown. Um <laughs> Because <laughs> I mean, I thought I knew quite a bit about um, you know type two diabetes, even, uh, and yeah, you know, I'd heard about the genetic piece, but to hear it, it, it you know, from you, it's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and there's more and more you can do, Jerry. So yes. definitely don't avoid it. Get checked out. You can get on top of it in many, many, many ways yeah. and push your doctors for options. Now I do go through an annual wellness check through my work uh, and my previous employer also had the same thing. And I was actually surprised when the first thing, you know, the first test had gone through, uh, they were looking at blood sugars and a couple other components. Yeah. And I was expecting it because I used to weigh 30 pounds heavier. And I was expecting them to say, Jerry, it looks like you might be diabetic because we I heard about people going through these wellness checks and finding out they might be diabetic going through these wellness checks. And I'm like, Oh, that's it. They're going to tell me they're going to tell me. And they came back and said, no, your cholesterol sucks. But <laughs> I was like, I see you weren't worried okay. about your cholesterol because that's like, yeah, the people have high cholesterol. Nobody cares. Diabetes. It's like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was, I was surprised and then I was surprised again. And, and so I've been working to get the cholesterol down. But are there other tests that I should be doing other than blood sugar and a couple other things? Well, that it happens? depends on how they tested you. Okay. If they did. And boy, I'm going to try to keep this in layman's terms because I am super layman. I am not a medical professional. I don't want to get anything wrong here. But the, the gold standard has been the hemoglobin A1C test, oh, which wait, we all say is okay. A1C test, which is a blood draw or a finger stick, depending on your doctor's office and your insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, that's much more accurate than a fasting blood sugar. You okay. know, prick your finger, get a blood glucose number. My son, interestingly enough, we caught it pretty early in him. His fasting blood glucose was normal. It was 80, which is really mm. nice and beautiful. Um, but he had so many symptoms that our pediatrician did take a blood draw, which was so much fun on a nine-year-two-year-old. Um, oh. And yeah, I know. Eh, well, it was worth it. It saved his life. Yeah. And right. a few days later, we got his A1C, which is basically a measure, very simply, of you know how much sugar is hanging out on your red blood cells. It's very, very very simple. Please, medical professionals listening, don't don't write me. Um, but it's it's a it's a measure of the last three months of blood sugars. And my son's A one C was eleven point five. It is supposed to be under six. 
really in people without diabetes, it's under five generally or five and, and under. Um, my last A1C was, I think, in, in the mid fives and mm -hmm. I don't have any type of diabetes. Um, but 11.5 is extremely dangerous. And so your blood glucose could be normal, but your A1C could be elevated. So generally, as you get older and if you have type one, excuse me, if you have type two in your family, they will do a hemoglobin A1C test, very standard stuff in okay. a blood draw. If you get you know yearly bloods, they'll do that. Okay. I'll just make sure that's getting done on the next one. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And then everyone after that. <laughs> so, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I love my right? dad. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, my, my dad is a great guy. Just for the record, I, I've said it a number of times on the show. I mean, he's the kind of guy, like when we, when I was growing up, he'd give you, he would give me the last 20 bucks in his pocket to go play football. Um, you know, if he had to give me the shirt off his back, he would give it to me. You know, he didn't have to. I mean, but he would, he's that kind of guy. But then there are these like little gotchas like, Hey, you can go ahead and borrow my car, son, and I'll drive it. And then all of a sudden, like, something falls out that kept the car running. It's like, oh yeah, I probably should have told you <laughs> that, that wheel needs to be replaced. You're like, right. Now you need to fix it. Yeah. You drove it last. Yeah. I mean, he'll still fix it, but it's like, I'm stranded like in the middle of nowhere, like with, oh my with no car. And this is before cell phones. I'm like, I got to hike five miles back into town to get to a payphone. And <laughs> it just made you a great yeah. man. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Character building. But do, you, but do you guys remember life before cell phones? <laughs> Uh, I tell my while. kids, right? And they're like, well, how did you meet with friends or where did you know where to go? And I'm like, well, we said we'd be at the diner at five. And if you weren't there, you weren't there. Yeah. Yes. Right? Or we used That's a right. pay phone, a pay phone. There's yes. no concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the little roller phone, you know, you just. You oh, the old rotary. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it takes forever. <laughs> <laughs> used to speed dial on that thing. <laughs> Oh my God, that's <laughs> funny. You have, to, you have to do nine and it goes, you know, you go all right. the way around and it takes, all, it takes time coming all the way back. You're like, oh my God. Those are collector's items now. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Oh, Gosh, that was good. I, I did not expect to go down that trip down memory lane. That was a good one. Oh. Now, Man, there's like two different areas I want to explore a little bit deeper. Uh, one around the, the diabetes side. So you'd found out when your son was two that he has type one diabetes. Um, yeah. and you know, of course you then applied your background as a health reporter and really dedicated yourself to that. Um, what were some of the challenges you still faced though as a parent while yeah. doing that? Well, and I think this kind of ties into your theme about the, you know, the rut that mm -hmm. people fall into. And I think that what we did and what I try to help people not do now is, is fall into this feeling of everything has to be perfect now. If I make one mistake in taking care of this child, that's it. He's going to die or he's going to have lifelong damage or I'm going to have failed as a diabetes parent. And I laughed a little bit when you said you put your knowledge as a health reporter to work. I was like, Oh my God, I knew nothing. Oh my God, I made so many mistakes. You know, the only good thing, the only good thing I knew as a health reporter is I had been very fortunate in that my radio station was the sponsor of the JDRF golf tournament, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation oh, wow. golf tournament in Charlotte. So for three years prior, I had met all these families and I had interviewed them for the radio show. So I was able to call them up and say, guys, what the heck do I do? How do you do this? Your kids seem so happy, right? What do I do? And that was really wonderful. But there is this feeling that comes over you 
obviously you're always responsible for your children, especially when they're toddlers, you're doing everything for them. But when you suddenly have to start adding blood sugar checks and insulin dosing and shots and um, middle of the night checks and, and all these different things, you know, when they get ill, you have to check for ketones and there's other important things that go on with diabetes that you never had to think about before. There's this sense of, of perfection that really comes in. And instead of being perfect, like I wanted to, I made a lot of really dumb mistakes. Uh, in hindsight, I now know they helped me learn. <laughs> but I'm talking about mistakes like I would try to give him a shot and I would poke myself. Oh. Or, right. I would like, did the needle go in? Did it drip out? Um, you know, my very first night home, I walked into his room and I realized, and we hadn't thought about this in the hospital. We'd been in the hospital for three days learning. He's in a crib. I never thought, do I go over the crib rails? Do I lower it? Do you go through the slats to give a shot or to check blood sugar? And, you know, you don't want to, you think about a crib, you don't want to wake your kid up in the middle of the night if you can help it, because believe it or not, he would sleep through shots and finger sticks and stuff. They get used to it very quickly. But that was the first challenge. And I was like, what the heck? So I actually snuck out of the room without doing anything. I was so flummoxed. I was like, I'm not, he doesn't really have, he doesn't really need me to do this. <laughs> and I just kind of left, right? And it was ridiculous. And I got to the door and I thought, you know, you really have to get it together. You cannot, he, he is counting on you. He is two. He's not yet two. And I went back in and by the way, I went through the crib slats. That's the way I always did it. It worked out just fine. But things like that really kind of helped me learn. And over the years, um, I, I, I actually wrote a whole book about all the mistakes I made. We learned from all those mistakes. We had insulin pump issues. We had playground issues. We had food issues. You know, everything you can think of. And getting out of that perfection mindset has helped me give him independence and confidence. And I think it's really changed our perception of living with type 1. And it's really helped me help other parents who are just so fearful. There's nothing. There are a few things I think more scary mm-hmm. than this kind of diagnosis. So. Yeah, because there is that vigilance every day that uh, I I love that you brought up not having to be perfect. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of people think excellence is perfection. And it's like, no, you strive for perfection and and expect perfection and you just burn yourself out and you wind up making worse mistakes than than not. And excellence really is about doing consistently the right things that you need to be doing that have the most impact. And. Uh, it's really neat. You, you found a way to connect those dots. I would not have thought of that <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, one of the hardest parts for me about diabetes is that it is a numbers game. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I am not a numbers person. I'm, I have no, you know, there's a, there's a big part of the community that is so good with the engineering side, the numbers side. They, you know, these are people who have actually um, taken technology and there's a, they call it the DIY movement, you know, the do-it-yourself movement. And they've basically, they used to hack into insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors in a good way mm-hmm. to make it work better. And I, I, I don't think that way. My brain doesn't think that way. There's a saying years and years old that, you know, the diabetic with the most information wins. And it's true. You want to have, if you know your blood glucose all the time, right? If you know you're dosing to mm-hmm. this precise limit, you will live longer and be healthier. But for somebody like me, who's very much a wing it, creative person, it didn't sit well with me at all. And so to be able to aim for more of a bullseye than a perfect number lifted a huge burden and I think actually made it easier to get those numbers more in line. But I had to kind of give myself permission to let it go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> What's been the most helpful tool to, 
to track those numbers and to just keep the routine going? That's a great question. So I'm going to answer it in two ways. Okay. The most helpful tool not for numbers, but for me to not lose my mind, has been the diabetes community. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly tight-knit. I mean, my podcast has a community around it now as well, but I was so fortunate to find people early on and that support and finding people who kind of do it like you do. I mentioned those DIY folks. You know, they've got their own community within mm-hmm. the community, right? You got to find those people. But I will tell you the technology around type 1 has changed significantly for the better. So Benny was diagnosed, my son, in 2006 at the end of the year. And there were some continuous glucose monitors out on the marketplace. And what these are, we've mentioned blood sugar finger sticks. I think people are very familiar with that. You poke your finger, you get a drop of blood, you put it into the meter, it tells you what your blood sugar is. A continuous glucose monitor is a device that inserts with a needle, the needle comes out, but a little wire stays under your skin. And it monitors the interstitial fluid under your skin. Uh, There's two main brands. You might have seen commercials in America. And if you haven't, you might, now that I say them, notice them. Uh, There's two brands that are out there right now. One is Dexcom and one is Libre. Mm -hmm. And the Libre is really popular with people with type 2 because they've marketed to them more. And it's a little bit different. The Dexcom beams has always like beamed a number to your phone or to a receiver every five minutes. The Libre, you had to scan. I think the newer version of it sends it directly. But what it does is it takes a blood sugar number every five minutes and lets you know what that is. Wow. And it has alerts and alarms. So if your blood sugar goes out of the range that you set or goes very low, it will let you know. And so imagine Mm. going from, we went, we, when Benny was little, we probably did 10 finger sticks a day because he was little, right? When he got older and he did more himself, he probably did four, maybe five. Mm. But imagine going from that to one every five minutes to like 300 a day, right? With no finger sticking. So that's been remarkable. So you're getting more then, data, no intrusion into your body. Well, it's a little one. bit, you know, yeah. right, it stays there. It stays yeah. there for, I mean, the beginning, I think it was four days now, seven days, now it's 10 days. And he's used that since he was nine years old and they just get better and better. So that's been really cool. Oh. And then this year, his insulin pump, and he's worn an insulin pump since he was two. Um, and that, I always like to explain a little bit, an insulin pump doesn't really make it automatic. You still have to press buttons. You still have to insert it on your body. The same thing, needle goes in, needle comes out, leaves behind a little cannula that drips the insulin in. All this stuff hurts, it stinks, but it's great. So this year in 2020, in January, the insulin pump company that we use worked started working with the continuous glucose monitor for the first time ever. So mm. now if his blood sugar is going up, it will automatically give him more insulin. If it's going down, it will give him less insulin. Jerry, it's not nice. It is life changing. It has been unbelievable. It has been, (laughs) I'm, it's like I want to jump up and down every day. It's been so good, especially for a teenager. He's 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Who would really rather worry about friends and video games and riding his bike than checking his blood sugar every two minutes to see if he needs to give himself insulin? So that's a long answer. I'm sorry, but the technology has really come a long way. I, had a neighbor who uh, he doesn't live across the street anymore uh, but I, if you know me well you know I've got a deep fear of zombies and the zombie apocalypse and- I, I, I have to interrupt oh my god me too and mine is dates from before the walking dead I am on record at my radio station that it was the big joke was that I hate zombies but go right ahead oh nice nice never mind I, I was gonna say uh no, we're not putting that in the show. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Moving forward. So I remember one day though, I I had uh, taken my kids to school, came back, and the neighbor across the street, which is kind of standing in his front lawn, kind of pointing 
in in a random direction and just kind of swaying side to side, forward, back. And I ran inside the house, locked the door. I'm like, live. <laughs> Zombie. Yes, that was my initial thought. You know, the zombie apocalypse has started. Our kids are in school. I hope they're safe. Do we take them out of school now? Live? What do we do? Our, our neighbor's out front in his yard acting like a zombie. And she's like, I don't think he's a zombie, but there's probably something not right. And and so we, we kept an eye on him and he wasn't doing anything to anybody. It was just odd behavior. And we wound up calling the police uh, because it was just odd. And then he collapsed. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, mm-hmm. shoot. So I got out, ran across the street. Now I'm still thinking in the back of my head, zombies. But um, still got to go see what's going on. And uh, so I'm not even ashamed about the zombie sphere. But anyway, uh, turns out. I, I, I got to tell you, though, I, I do regret a little bit already sharing my my <laughs> also fear of zombies. Because, Katina, I don't know about you, but when I see a child in a, lawn, in a yard, I'm not thinking zombie. I Maybe it's a guy-girl <laughs> thing. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not surprised to hear. So he was he was having a, a uh, diabetic. Sugar. Yeah, uh, his sugars had dropped, and uh, he was diabetic. Uh, the police had also shown up, and they knew what to do right away. And they had, I guess, dextrose or something. They put it inside mm-hmm. his uh, that little swab, and he perked right up. And it was like, and of course, I backed right up. I was like, nope, nope, this is how they get you. <laughs> so it's still in my head. Uh, but then I realized, oh, he's diabetic. Oops, <laughs> it's, I gotta go. I got a thing. Um, I'm so happy you shared that about yourself. Great. Though. Yeah. I mean, I picked on Mental Brandon. Note. Mental note. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but see, that's, but that is something that people with diabetes do need to be aware yeah. of. Um, you know, it's even if you are, and I almost hate to use this phrase, but even if you're very well controlled, right? Low blood sugars can happen and they do happen. My son wears a medical alert bracelet. He's had it on since he was three. And that makes me feel better if somebody, you know, EMS or whatever finds him. Um, but you you really do have to be careful, especially as the tools get better and we can keep our kids and people with diabetes who are adults can keep themselves in a tighter range. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great because you're not going high as much, but also if you're if you're trying to stay between 80 and 100, you know, Going down to 60 can be very dangerous and can lead to stuff like that. So it's a real delicate, delicate balancing act. By the way, for anybody with diabetes listening, we don't try to keep my son between 80 and 100. He is 15 (laughs) years old and we are realistic. So I don't want you to, (laughs) don't at me. I love the experience that you've gotten by doing this show. Like you've, you've gotten the emails about, have you tried this diet? Have you tried this? Have you tried essential oils? Have you, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you what, there are people in the community and there's people that I'm very good friends with who, I mean, we all manage differently and they do keep their kids in a different range or they Mm. do eat differently and it's all good. Whatever works for you. Katina, I feel like I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, 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 it's fine. I wanted to know how you take care of yourself because you are, you know, taking care of everyone else, you know, and now you're using your platform to inform and help us with diabetes. What do you do for yourself? I think that is such a great question. Um, I have always, and I'm really lucky, I have always had support from day one as a mom. And I am, you know, my mother told me when I was young and my mother worked my mother was a, a teacher and then she started her own business when I was 16. You know, my dad worked and commuted, so he was home a little bit less. And my mom was the primary caregiver. But she would always say to us, like, it's okay to be a little selfish. Mm-hmm. And so she would say, I'm not making dinner tonight. You know, you're on your own. Yeah. You know, I'm not doing this. And it was 
a gift. It was a gift to hear those words from my mother because when I was a mother, I realized it is okay to be a little selfish. And I worked full time. Um, I had both my kids when I was working full time. They we had wonderful caregivers. I was really fortunate. My husband worked full time, and we um, and I I was smart. I married a guy that supported me in my career, and you know we laid it on the table before we had kids. <laughs> what's going to go on and who's going to do what? And it, it was difficult. And I think especially when the children were very young, we didn't see a lot of each other. You know, we were trading off. He also he owned and managed a restaurant. So as I was in early mornings, he was in late nights. So it was crazy, but we did it. And I, I think that what I did was I, tr- I, I, this is a weird term, I guess, but I trained caregivers. You know, we had a lot of babysitters when our kids were young. I had daycare because we did work. And my job as a radio personality meant that I was also doing events on the weekends or I had to go out to a, a charity event at night that I was emceeing. So like, it takes a village. I mean, it took everybody I knew. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're taking a walk with your dog in front of my house. Can you watch my kids? You know, whatever. But <laughs> As when he was diagnosed with diabetes, it changed. I couldn't use a 13-year-old next door, right? I had to find somebody that, not necessarily a medical professional, but somebody that I could teach. Mm-hmm. But I made that a big priority. And I found people who were fabulous and almost became part of our family. I will say, and I try to be as upfront and honest as I can about this, it was more expensive. I think I would have struggled more um, if we did not have the budget to hire those suitors. We used to joke that we were spending our kids' college education before they got to kindergarten with all the daycare and everything else. But for us, it was an investment in keeping my career going and keeping my husband's career going. And so finally, when we put them in public school, it was like, phew, you know, we did it. <laughs> but it was, it was not easy. And I know that not everybody can do that. But having those occasional date nights, having a day to myself where I would say, I'm taking the day off and I'm putting my, my kids are still in daycare or my kids are still in school but I'm taking this day for me, was extremely important. And I know that everybody looks at employment differently. And I have a coworker who still laughs at me for this. I used all of my vacation time. I did not, and I, maybe I'm lucky. I never feared that I would be replaced if I took my vacation time. Um, To me, I didn't have that much of it. Use it. And especially when you're getting up at three o'clock in the morning, you have to take care of yourself. Now, the, the, problem with all of that is that even with all of that, and I'm telling you, oh, self-care and, you know, go away with your girlfriends or, you know, try to have a night to yourself or, or just a night when your husband can take the kids and you stay in bed all day. I got very sick um, when I, let's see, I'd been in radio for, I think I'd been there for about nine years. And I think the verdict basically was that I ran my system down so much with the lack of sleep uh-huh. that it finally said, we give. Uh-huh. And I got very sick. I was hospitalized for almost two weeks. I came down with my own autoimmune condition. Hooray. Oh. And um, yeah, I was very lucky to recover as well as I did. And I'm fine now. But that led me to really examining, do I want to go back to work? And I did. But I said, I'm going to go back to work as a test. Do I love this? Do I want to go back? And the answer was no. Wow. And that's, that's when I left. So it's such a good question, Katina, because I think women especially, right, we don't we don't want to lift that burden. And I talk a lot on the show and in my book about you've got to let your spouse or your partner or somebody take that load for you. You've we got to be able to we do, do that. Yeah. We do. And it makes us so much better when we take care of ourselves. Yeah. We we present ourselves better. We can we can help others, you know, so much uh, more richer when we are taking care of ourselves. And I'm a huge advocate of self-care. Mm-hmm. You know, but I had to go through the trenches of not taking care of myself right. to become that advocate. 
you know, so that's how I can give, tell people, no, just stop. I have three daughters, <laughs> you know, and I had to apologize to them. They are adults now. And I had to apologize to them. I feel like as a, um, as, as they were growing up, I just showed them how to keep going. It was about just keep going. We work, we take care of things. They saw mom just do everything, you know, working, taking care of home, being in ministry, but they didn't, I didn't show them how to take care of themselves. So as they got older, I had to apologize for not demonstrating that. And so I do a lot of that now and encourage them with their families to make sure that they take care of themselves too. That's a great lesson. It's hard to learn until you make the mistake of not yes, doing it. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Now, you even have a book out. Uh, it was, I think I got the title right. It's like The World's Worst Diabetes Mom. That is exactly it. I love that title. It's so <laughs> humble. It's like, <laughs> I am the worst diabetes mom. Uh, tell us about well, it that. Goes, thank you. It goes to that perfection myth, right? The reason I, I titled it that is because sometimes I felt that way. It's very difficult to know. I, I think, Katina, this goes to your point too about raising children. You know, it's very difficult to know, are you doing a good job? There's no finish line. There's no gold star. There's no ribbon. And with diabetes, every three months, we get that hemoglobin A1C test that I mentioned earlier. And a lot of parents, moms especially, look at that as a report card. And I got great advice early on from friends and from our endocrinologist who said, this is just information. There's no emotion to this information. It's hard for us because I think the best analogy is maybe weight, right? We all say, oh, it's just information or it's not, I'm not my weight. And we all know that we step on the scale and we're going to feel good or we're going to feel bad. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to get away from that. And in diabetes, it's the same thing. You know, your A1C, which as I said, really should be, you know, below six. So let's say you have a teenager and his A1C is eight. And you're going to say, oh, that's terrible. I should feel, well, maybe his A1C last year was 10 and he's been working really hard and doing what he can do or there's other issues, you know, or maybe your A1C is 5.5, but you're having lows all the time and it's really interfering with your quality of life. So it really needs to be just information and not emotional. And when we started thinking about that, it clicked something in me. And that's when I said, okay, I wanted to write a book for a long time. In fact, I I wrote a book for charity years ago, a cookbook called I Can't Cook, But I Know Someone Who Can, which was another funny experience. And the people behind that book were like, you need to write one. You need to put all your blogs together and write something about diabetes parenting. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of books out there. And I didn't feel like I had anything new to say until I figured out, oh, oh, my thing is about mistakes. So every chapter starts with the big mistake I made. And then we talk about, you know, what I learned from it, what you can learn from it. And I also give guidance at the end of every chapter. Here are some questions to ask your endocrinologist or your healthcare provider. Because one of the biggest problems is, especially early on, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what to ask. So I I give a little bit of a guide for that. And it's been really fun. I did the audio book as well. And that was interesting because I actually, doing the audio book was a completely different experience than writing it. I felt like I was reliving all the stories. It was wild. It's a little emotional. <laughs> when you did the audiobook, did you stick to the words that were in the book or did you find yourself ad-libbing it from time to time? What a great question. Yes, I really tried to stick to the book, but I definitely ad-libbed a little bit here and there, some asides and some laughter. And I did add at the beginning of the book, I did kind of add, hey, there's a little, if you're reading along, I mean, nobody does that, right? Does anybody read, you know, with the audiobook? But it's like, just a little bit, just so you know. That's funny, though. Yeah. <laughs> I've uh, done some script work, some voiceover work for, you know, well, work, 
because I work in a learning and development department. Mm. And I've caught myself a number of times where I have a script and I'll just start ad-libbing in there. Like I'll throw in a rant or, you know, and if you think you need to push this button, no, don't. You need to push <laughs> this button over here. And then I'm thinking, wait, that's not in the script. But that's funny. Yeah. I write like I speak. So it wasn't too different, but I definitely got a little bit of, and I got a little emotional in there, which surprised me. That's mm. funny. Oh, man. Oh, that's good, though, because then it adds that humanness to that that book. Mm, that's right. Now, as we wrap up, what's the best way for folks to find your show, Diabetes Connections, if they want to reach out to you and connect with you? What are, what are the best ways for them to do that? I think the easiest thing is the website, which is diabetes-connections.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as Stacy Sims. The show has its stuff too, but I think Stacy Sims is easier, S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-I-M-M-S. If you also just search Diabetes Podcast or, you know, Worst Diabetes Mom, <laughs> I will definitely pop up. Nice. That is memorable. <laughs> Can't forget that. And then any final words of wisdom uh, before we sign off? Yeah, well, I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. I would just say that, you know, it wasn't the subject of this show, and I, and I know we're running out of time. I do just want to say that as you listen, I hope we've done a little bit of education on the different types of diabetes, but truly the number one issue in the diabetes community is insulin affordability. So if you are struggling, if you use insulin or know somebody who does, there are coupons, there are discounts. You can you know start on my website. We've done episodes about it. You can just put insulin into the search box. It will come up. There's ways to get help. Please do not ration insulin. One in four Americans currently rations insulin. We've got to do something about this. I don't care what side of the political aisle you are on. We've got to do something. And then the other thing is, look, you know, whatever you're dealing with, everybody's got something, right? Mm -hmm. Don't look for perfect. Look for safe and happy and take care of yourself and watch out for the zombies. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Stacy, for being on and, and sharing with us today. Oh my gosh, thanks for the opportunity. I'm honored. Be sure to check out our show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 251. There you'll find links to diabetesconnections.com, actually diabetes-connections.com, as well as stacysims.com. There you'll find resources and information about her speaking gigs and so much more. We'll also link in some other episodes that relate to health and wellness that we've done in the past in those show notes as well. Now, we're glad you joined us this week, and we look forward to joining you again next week. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Cap Show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.